Greetings, students. As always, this is Professor Totten, and welcome to the History of the American People since 1877. Today's lecture is entitled, The New Deal Part 2. Please follow along on the PowerPoint as I speak, and turn to the slide, The Second Wave. From 1934 to 1935, FDR embarked on a second wave of legislation to help the American people. First, he created the Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC, to act as a stock market watchdog. While this operated well for decades, over the years, the SEC was stacked with industry insiders who were less than vigilant in their oversight of Wall Street. FDR also recognized that there was a need to stimulate consumption and promoted the creation of the Works Progress Administration, the WPA, in order to put people back to work. This agency ultimately employed 8.5 million people, and this means that in the 1930s and 40s, one in three Americans had worked for the WPA at some point in their lives. The WPA spent $11 billion and sent young men to work in rural parts of the country, building public works such as buildings, bridges, and roads as well as preserving national lands. It also included a federal art project that paid artists to paint posters and murals, and there's an example of one on the next slide. In addition, you can click the link on the PowerPoint to look at several New Deal buildings here in Arkansas. To illustrate the positive effect of the WPA, the organization built a lot in Arkansas. Since a lot needed to be done, due to the extreme poverty, again showcasing the legacy of sharecropping and redemption in the state. At one time, the WPA was the largest employer in Arkansas, and Arkansas actually employed the most amount of black women. Lots of small towns didn't have functioning post offices, so the WPA built them. Government investment also made the state healthier. If you recall, in World War I, most of the recruits from Arkansas were rejected because they had too many diseases and were malnourished. So the Red Cross was set up in Arkansas in order to deal with these problems. Arkansas in this era was the last in the nation in everything, but the New Deal moved it forward. And to make a more finer point on this, you all directly benefit from 80-year-old New Deal policies since the WPA built many buildings on campus, including the Vol Walker, Memorial, Chemistry, and Ozark Building, as well as laying the foundation for Razorback Stadium. You're welcome. This connects with the story of the first female senator which occurred during the New Deal. You see, Senator Carraway of Arkansas died, and his wife Hattie took over. Whenever an elected official dies, a governor of a state can appoint people to that seat. Well, in this era, there is a tradition in the South to appoint the wife of a senator in the event of her husband's death. But Hattie Carraway was so good that she ended up winning elections even after she was appointed. She was so effective that Huey Long endorsed her because of her passionate pleas for the poor in the state. If you had a problem you could write to Hattie Carraway, and she would help you. She may have been quiet, but she was a force for the poor. 
as a result, she ended up serving as senator from 1931 to 1945. Anyway, another bureaucracy that FDR created was the Rural Electrification Administration, the REA. This expanded the work of the TVA in 1933 and brought electricity to rural areas that private utility companies did not think they had to serve. These new government-sponsored power companies brought electricity to rural areas across the South and West. The REA helped farmers set up non-profit electric cooperatives that provided power, and many of these still exist, like the Ozark Electric Company. When the REA was founded, 90% of American farms did not have electric power. 15 years later, 90% of farms had electric power, and this was a transformative experience for life on the farm. Now, you could refrigerate your food, and you could have new industries. And as a result, the chicken industry in Arkansas is a prime example of this change. The REA certainly dramatically changed the way that millions of people lived and worked, and its legacy is as enduring as many of the more familiar New Deal agencies. It would become a central selling point in the preservation of the New Deal's legacy. Please advance to the next slide entitled, Later Legislation. The Supreme Court's decision to strike down the NRA ended the guarantee of workers' rights to organize in unions. To make up for this, Roosevelt supported the Wagner Act in 1935, which went even further to affirm workers' rights to organize. It established the National Labor Relations Board, which conducted elections to determine whether workers wanted to be represented by unions. The NLRB also imposed fines on practices of companies that violated fair labor. One key aspect of the Wagner Act was its role in creating a new labor union called the Congress of Industrial Organizations, the CIO. They focused on expanding unions to manufacturing sectors in 1935, most notably automotive, rubber, and steel industries. The Wagner Act enabled labor organizers to create mass membership across all industries, and their message was essentially that if you like Roosevelt, you'll like unions. The CIO, through some dramatic tactics like sit-down strikes and with the support of the Wagner Act, forced some of America's largest companies to accept unions in their factories, like General Motors and U.S. Steel. In 1935, Congress passed the Social Security Act, one of the single most important pieces of legislation in American history. It fundamentally redefined the relationship between the American public and the government. For the first time, it became the government's job to provide pensions for the elderly and disabled, regardless of whether they were veterans. For the first time, it became the government's job to supply unemployment to those who lost their jobs. And for the first time, it became the government's job to supply welfare to the needy. FDR ensured that this system would be sustainable. The monthly old age pensions were to be paid to both the wealthy and the poor. 
and were to be funded by a separate tax that was paid by all workers throughout their lives. FDR knew that structuring Social Security broadly and based on personal taxes would make Americans more invested in the long-term success of the program. Social Security really didn't create individual pots of money for people. Instead, it was viewed as an entitlement to middle-class Americans and made them feel a sense of ownership over it. As FDR once said to an aide, quote, We put those payroll contributions there so as to give the contributors a moral, legal, and political right to collect their pensions and their unemployment benefits. With those taxes in there, no damn politician can ever scrap my Social Security program, end quote. Of course, FDR never could have imagined the 21st century. This new law also provided new regulations for aid to children and mothers. The unemployment and welfare programs were joint state and federal programs. However, there is a problem with Social Security. As it was originally written, farm aides and domestic workers were not included in this legislation. As a result, this had a disproportionate effect on African Americans and other minority groups and helps explain the wealth gap between the races to this day. The point is that in just one term, FDR single-handedly changed the nature of the relationship between citizens and the federal government, and provided much of the safety net that your grandparents, the disabled, and the unemployed enjoy. In the process, FDR fundamentally changed the Democratic Party and American politics forever. Please advance to the next slide entitled, The Election of 1936. By 1936, there were two distinct parties. Three years of New Deal legislation had given many Americans an immediate stake in government. The Democrats in 1936 had no choice but to run on a record of expanded government involvement and direct action in the lives of individuals. Even in 1936, though, there were still some Democrats, like Southerners, who clung to the ideas of states' rights and limited government. On the whole, though, Democrats had become inextricably identified with the New Deal and its expansion of federal authority. As a result, the Republicans were forced to become the party of small government, despite having been a party of positive government for decades. By the 1920s, Republicans like Andrew Mellon had herded the elephants toward an alternate principle, that prosperity and freedom were best served by reducing not expanding the burden of government. Thus, we see two parties moving in opposite directions. The Democrats had replaced the Republicans as the party of big government, and the Republicans had inaugurated their campaign of attacking the Democrats as the party of taxing and spending. These moves in the parties left the people with a far starker choice between the parties than in 1932. In the election of 1936, FDR faced off against Alf Landon, the governor of Kansas and the Republican nominee. Landon was actually not a hardcore conservative, but instead came from the old Roosevelt wing of the party, though we can say he was fairly fiscally conservative. There were people who were far more conservative than Landon, and they wanted him to be the standard bearer of the new anti-New Deal crusade but such small government policies 
were no longer in vogue. And Roosevelt buried Landon, winning 523-8 to in the Electoral College. This was the single biggest landslide since 1820 when James Monroe ran unopposed. Only Lyndon Baines Johnson in 1964 had won by a bigger margin. Though Nixon in 1972 and Reagan in 1984 came close. In the election of 1936, Landon didn't even win his home state and only took the states of Maine and Vermont. In addition, the Democratic Party claimed over two-thirds of the seats in both the House of Representatives and the Senate. This Democratic landslide showed the strength of a burgeoning New Deal coalition. This coalition had its constituents among urban ethnics, northern blue-collar workers, old-school northern liberals, traditional southern Democrats, and African Americans. African Americans were the last group to join this coalition. Since Reconstruction, they had remained loyal to the Republican Party because it had been the party of Lincoln. But by 1936, most were ready to vote for FDR because of the economic help they got from the New Deal. African American voters were also in new areas because of their migration to the North, so that by 1940, there were 2.5 million African Americans of voting age living in the North. And to this day, African Americans remain crucial and a loyal part of the Democratic Coalition of Voters. Please advance to the next slide entitled, FDR's Mandate. FDR interpreted his landslide re-election as a mandate to remove any roadblocks to his New Deal reform agenda. And his major roadblock had been the Supreme Court, which had struck down several major New Deal laws, and many assumed that they would target his second wave of legislation as well. The court was dominated by conservatives, six of whom were over 70 years old. So in 1937, FDR proposed that he help these old guys get their work done by adding one new justice for every justice over the age of 70. This would bring the court to 15 judges total and add a new six. Many Americans saw this as an autocratic attempt to interfere with the separation of powers. Congress ultimately voted down the president's plan, which critics called the court-packing plan. This really hurt him politically. Though while he lost the battle, he ultimately won the war, as the deaths and retirements of judges allowed FDR to replace seven of the nine with friendlier faces. This also coincided with a new era in the legal profession, where better lawyers with better training crafted better arguments, and led to a new direction of the court. As a result, the Supreme Court goes from protecting the sanctity of the contract to making Congress more representative through civil rights and economic regulations. The downside of this is that we will see the emergence of an anti-New Deal coalition between Southern conservative Democrats and Republicans. Please advance to the next slide, entitled... FDR's second term. 1937 was not a good year for Roosevelt, and for more than just the court-packing fiasco. FDR hadn't entered into office thinking that the government absolutely needed to be bigger, 
He only believed that it had to do what was necessary to save the country. Through his first and second term, Roosevelt did believe in a balanced budget. So FDR reduced spending in 1937 because there were signs of an economic recovery, such as increased production and unemployment had dropped to 15%. But right as Roosevelt cut spending, unemployment then shot back up, and the country experienced a recession within a larger depression. Critics thus called this the Roosevelt Recession. It is at this point that FDR decided to embrace Keynesian economics, the idea that in bad times, when consumers aren't spending very much, the government should borrow money and spend it to, quote, prime the pump. In other words, deficit spending is okay during recessions. So Keynesian economics would come to dominate liberal thinking for decades. Though we should also note that conservatives do this as well, just for defense spending and farm subsidies and aid to big business. In the aftermath of the 1937 and 1938 recession, FDR launched a $5 billion spending plan to try and prime the pump in what is called counter-cyclical spending. The problem, though, is that we will see fewer New Deal programs created after 1938 because Southern Democrats often made common cause with Republicans to block any new programs. Thus, going forward, the best FDR could do was make existing New Deal programs more generous. There is one major exception, though, which is the 1938 Fair Labor Standards Act, which set a national minimum wage and mandated overtime pay for those who worked over 40 hours a week. Of course, representatives from the farm states did not let this pass at first. They only allowed it to pass after large exemptions were made to waitstaff and agricultural workers. Though, this is the price of getting it passed in a hostile Congress. The point is that FDR had hampered his ability to continue reform with his court-packing scheme and helped create the origins of the conservative coalition that would come to dominance after 1968. Please advance to the last slide entitled, The New Deal's Legacy. The legacy of the New Deal is hard to understate. Many critics pointed to the fact that the federal bureaucracy had tremendously expanded during the era. They also criticized the fact that the national debt went from $19.5 billion in 1932 to $40.4 billion in 1939. Others claimed that the New Deal allowed for creeping socialism and the creation of the handout state. Lastly, many liberal critics noted the inherent racism in many New Deal programs that was only corrected after the 1960s. Supporters, on the other hand, pointed to the fact that emergency relief was finally provided to the starving and hopeless people. In addition, we see the ultimate survival of American institutions like free enterprise and liberal capitalist democracies, while other depressed countries like Germany and Italy became fascist dictatorships. More importantly, we all live with a New Deal legacy. Your grandparents have a better retirement because of the New Deal. The disabled are taken care of better than they otherwise would be 
because of the New Deal. Arkansas saw a great deal of development, which took it out of the poverty caused by redemption and sharecropping. National forests were preserved and expanded. Post offices, city halls, concert halls, roads, and other infrastructure were built that allowed business and communities to thrive. I mean, you can't have Tyson Chicken or Walmart without these programs. And you all attend a university that has buildings and a stadium created thanks to the New Deal. However, the New Deal didn't do everything, because in the end, it was the Second World War and the expansion of the wartime economy, in conjunction with the New Deal, that finally ended the Great Depression. Well, that is all I have for you for today. I hope you are staying safe and making smart decisions. Thank you very much and have a wonderful day. I'll see you next time.